Section 17 of the Christmas Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Peterson. The Christmas Book by Hezekiah Butterworth. The Pilgrim's Easter Lily. There was a soldiers' fair in session at the always busy horticultural hall in Boston. It was full of enterprises for collecting money, and among the features was a floral booth attended by some bright young people at which the public were invited to vote for a national flower. Other nations have national flowers. England had her roses, and has her thorn. France has her fleur-de-lis, Scotland her thistle, and Ireland her shamrock. Our country has yet expressed no preference. What shall the flower be? The pretty attendants at the booth wore each the flower of her choice, the English rose, the French lily, the Scotch thistle, and the Irish clover were so presented, but each received only a few ballots. The favored candidates were the mayflower, the goldenrod, and the fleur de sauverance, the forget-me-not. The goldenrod was elected and became the princely plume of the day. One of the young ladies who presided at the fragrant booth seemed much disappointed at the unhistoric result. "'It should have been the flower of the little pilgrim republic at Plymouth,' she said. "'That would have had some significance, like the Glastonbury thorn on Wearyall Hill. Plymouth is our Isle of Avalon.' The girl, whom we will call Mary Cushman, had evidently been well instructed by the young people's course of lectures in the Old South Church. Her historical remark seemed lost on the others, who only knew in a general way that the Glastonbury Thorn stood for early Christianity in England, and that the Isle of Avalon was the scene of the most heroic and picturesque of the King Arthur legends. The Mayflower, she continued with feeling, was the Easter lily of the pilgrims, the flower of promise that brought them hope. But, said one of her companions, the pilgrims did not observe Easter, and I imagine that they cared as little for flowers of any kind. They were men of immense consciences and little hearts. What sentiment would the simple Mayflower have had for them? Just look now at that dotty old precisioner Miles Standish, pointing to a picture of the Duxbury captain on the wall. Mary looked, and her friend lightly added, A primrose by the river's brim, a yellow primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. Let me tell you tonight one of our family traditions, said Mary. It may change your mind. You are a descendant of Mary Allerton, I have heard, said the other. The name is a pretty one and I know that the great gathering of her descendants about her grave a few years ago was a very poetic event, she added. Precisely, it is of Mary Allerton that I have a legend to tell, said Mary. That evening Mary Cushman related the legend to her friend. It was a bright morning in the early spring of 1621. The sun rose warm, and the blue waters under a clear sky stretched away along the pine-clouded neck of land now called Cape Cod, but then known as Cape Malabar or Malabar Bay. "'Let us go out and hear the robins,' said Bartholomew Allerton to his sister. 
These robins are not like ours in England, but after a winter of nothing but storms, hunger, disease, and death, I am grateful enough to see anything bright, or to hear any cheerful sounds. The two went out of the little log house and walked to the top of Cole's Hill. They were there joined by one of the officers of the Mayflower, who was a relative of the Allertons. The hill lay in the warm sunshine, covered with green grain. Half of the pilgrims had died during the winter, and their graves had been made here, and the place had been sown with grain early so as to hide the burial spots from the Indians. Here, almost daily, there had been silent funerals under a cold gray sky, and often amid wind and snow. Here slept lovely Rose Standish, here the father and mother of lonely Mary Chilton, and here was the recent grave of the noble wife of Winslow. "'It makes my heart sick to pass this field,' said the sailor. "'But we shall sail for England in a few days. This will be my last Sunday in port. I hope never again to see an English colony landed amid winter snows to die of hunger and hardship.' "'It is over now,' said Mary Allerton. There is a wonderful brightness in the air, and see the hazels. What Sunday is this, Mary? asked the sailor. They call it Easter Sunday in England. Elder Brewster might speak of it as the Sunday of the Passover here. Easter Sunday, Mary! I can fancy that I hear the old bells of England all ringing, and see the happy groups tripping gaily along to the open churches with flowers. Mary, would you not like to return with me in the Mayflower? Both you and your sister Remembrance? My father would never consent, said Mary. I'm not so sure of that. He should see that it would be best. We have relatives who are rich and who would give you an education. Think of a girl like you growing up in a wilderness or dying and being buried like an animal in a wheat field. Mary, who in the wide world will ever know of those who sleep there, or care aught for their lives or their graves? The young officer pointed back to Cole's Hill that they were leaving. Mary Allerton turned, and her eye followed his finger. Who? he repeated. Tears filled her eyes. Perhaps I will live, she said gently. Perhaps I will live if I stay. And perhaps they did not come here and suffer and die in vain. The future will tell. We know they died in the faith. Out upon such greybeards can't, Mary, interrupted her cousin with vexation. In England it is certain that you would have a rich home and an education. You might live to be old, and you would be happy and respected. I am going to talk with your father, Mary, and ask him to let you return. May I? Oh, Ralph, let me think of it. Let me think of it alone, and see what my heart seems to say to me. I will speak with you again about it after church. After church, said the sailor with a laugh, do you call that a church? His finger swung round in the air, and Mary's blue eyes followed it. There stood the little log meeting house, with its thatched roof and defenses. Hark, Mary, he went on. What? Don't you hear the Easter chimes of Lincoln all ringing? Mary felt the sting of the sarcasm. Oh, Ralph, what if that little log church should prove the mother of hundreds of churches? It may be, if we are true. All things are possible. Mary, you are a fool. But, Ralph, 
Mother always said that she was glad that she came. Her eyes filled with tears again. Mary Allerton, the mother, slept near Rose Standish in the field of green grain. They had not spoken of that as they had passed the place. Why was she glad, Mary? She said that she trusted the future. It would all end well. And she lies there, interrupted the young man. They passed slowly down the hill. The bluebirds' notes were heard in the air. The robins sang. The woodpeckers tapped the hollow trees. There were golden cowslips in the pools, and an odor of sassafras was in the air. They came to the woods of oak, pine, holly, and hazel. Under some pine boughs there was a long line of snow, the remnant of a great winter snowdrift. Mary Allerton suddenly stooped to the ground. See, Ralph, there, the Mayflower. Where? In the snow. The three young people stopped in silence. There, lining the remains of the snowdrift, was a long fringe of flowers whose odor filled the air. I must pick some, said Mary, and take them with me to meeting. I wish that my mother could have seen them before she died. These flowers speak. The young officer laughed. You forget that you are a separatist, Mary. Flowers do not belong to your church. But Mary gathered her bunches of mayflowers, and they went back. The great guns of the common house rose above them. Feeble forms came out of the little log houses, followed by young people and children. They passed along toward the meeting house to hear Elder Brewster preach on that Easter morning, the young officer turning away as they came near. "'What shall I say to Ralph after the sermon?' asked Mary of her brother. "'What you like, sister. I will tell you privately that I shall one day return to England. Follow your own heart.' They met Mary Chilton at the door of the meeting-house. "'Mayflowers?' said the motherless girl. "'Yes, I will divide with you,' said Mary Allerton. The two girls, Mary Allerton and Mary Chilton, both of whom had been bereft of their mothers during the season of disease, went into the church together and sat down side by side. It was the Mary Chilton who is famed to have first landed on Plymouth Rock. How simple was the room in which this religious service on Easter Sunday was held! How different from Lincoln Cathedral with its crown of towers that these worshippers used to see in the spring air, melodious with bells! or the high tower of St. Bodolph's Church in Old Boston, holding its lantern over the sea, or even the old exhortation room in the ancient archiepiscopal palace in Scrooby. The seats were split logs, the roof was forest grass, and there was no grand pulpit or choir. Half of the pilgrims who met there at the first service were now gone. The Chiltons, Rose Standish, Mary Allerton the mother, Elizabeth Winslow, there was one hymn for an Easter anthem, to those who remembered Easter. It began, God is the refuge of his saints, in straits a present aid. The clerk led the simple tune. The second stanza was touching and tender. There is a stream whose peaceful flow supplies God's city fair. The door stood partly open, letting in the sunlight. Without, the robins were singing, as they always sing in the warm light of the April days. The Mayflowers, under the thick mantles of Mary Allerton and Mary Chilton, filled the room with fragrance, already odorous with decaying pine boughs. 
Elder Brewster arose, saintly and patriarchal. The sermon was long. The subject was the Hebrew spies, who from a want of faith brought an evil report of the land of Canaan. No allusion was made to Easter in the sermon, but hope was in it all. This week, said the clerk after the discourse, opens the doors of promise. The birds are singing, the flowers are prophesying. Last week God sent the great Indian chief to us, and we concluded a treaty of peace. I feel that for us Christ is risen indeed, and that the earth is blossoming under his feet. He comes to us in the Mayflowers. The words were like those of Robinson, the old Leyden pastor. Mary Allerton caught their spirit as she had already caught the like prophecy from the Mayflowers themselves. The service over, Ralph met her at the door. It was high noon, and the sun was like summer. "'Shall I talk with your father, Mary?' "'About returning?' "'Yes.' "'No, Ralph, no.' "'Why?' "'The Mayflowers say no. "'My life shall bloom in the snow like them, "'or I will die like my mother.' "'And never hear the old Easter bells of England again?' "'Ralph, I believe that the bells will one day ring on these hills "'if we are true. "'To have a true heart is more than life.' and to die for others is to live. She was only a girl, but she spoke like a woman. The great sea rolled in the distance before her, and in the distance, too, lay the mayflower in the clear, sunny air. The two looked toward it, the young girl and the sailor. Ralph's finger pointed to the ship that lay like a skeleton on the steel-blue bosom of the bay, with furled sails and flagless masts. No, Ralph, no. I cannot tell what may befall me, but he who makes the Mayflowers to bloom amid the snow will care for me, and do with me as pleaseth him best. I shall never hear the Easter bells of Lincoln or old Boston ring again, nor breathe the English violets or the thorn, but the Mayflower is with us here, and the bells of God will ring on these hills if we are true. One day they will ring." Mark my words, one day they will ring, and I will never carry away from my mother's grave any evil report of the land, not even by example. They parted. In a few days the Mayflower spread her white sail and lifted her flag and faded away like a bird in the sea. They watched the disappearing sail with tears, those pilgrims, from the green graves of Coles Hill, the pilgrims daily gathered the Mayflowers. They could hardly tell why. The blossom seemed to mingle with their thoughts of the dead, to prophesy good to them and to comfort them. The maples reddened, the yellow cowslips flooded all the running streams. The blue violets came amid the white. But the Mayflower had a meaning to the pilgrims that was breathed by the fragrance of no other blossoms. They had called it the Mayflower from the old English thorn, and they came to associate it with the name of the ship that had been their cradle and the cradle of the infant nation. Years passed. Mary Allerton married and reared a noble family. She survived all the pilgrims of the Mayflower and died at an age of more than ninety years. She lived to see churches rise on all the great hilltops and hillsides along the bay. Year by year she watched for the blooming of the Mayflower in the snow, and told the tale of the early springtime, 
when that flower had appeared like an angel of hope amid the snows at the very borders of half the colony's graves. The little pilgrim republic unconsciously chose the Mayflower for their flower. It meant to them fidelity. It ought to become our national flower. Ought it not? It was our father's rainbow that followed the ark. God's finger of promise that rode in the snow. On September 16, 1858, the descendants of Mary Allerton Cushman were gathered around her grave on Burial Hill. They came from nearly every state in the Union. They there uncovered a monument 27 feet high, by far the most conspicuous memorial in that hallowed spot to which pilgrimages will forever be made. It was a day of bright skies and golden leaves. The next Sabbath, some of her descendants, who had remained in Plymouth for a few days, went up on the hill and sat down amid the gray stones and mossy mounds. The bells began to ring, Plymouth, Duxbury, in the far towns along the Cape, and in a long procession beyond the ear to the great chorus of Boston. They were sweeter tones to those ears than the chimes of Lincoln or Old Boston could ever have been to Mary Allerton had she returned. The goldenrod bloomed amid the old gravestones. The Fleur de Sauverance was there, but the pilgrims to that old grave thought only of the Mayflower that blooms in the snow. End of Section 17 End of the Christmas Book by Hezekiah Butterworth